said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's refreshing to come into the house of God. It just seems like sometimes it's a breath of cool air just flows right over you as you enter in. Not just the air conditioning, but I mean spiritually. Tired and weary and sometimes just feel that uh, somehow you've, you've gone just about all the, as far as you can go and all of a sudden you just uh, feel, you know, depressed and downhearted. And uh, if you can get to the house of the Lord, if you can get in an atmosphere of praise and worship, adoration, somehow or other that tiredness just seems to flow out of you and a new strength comes in. Hallelujah. You feel ready to go at it again. Like the, the writer said, I feel uh, that, that the young men shall be weary and faint and so forth, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Praise God. Hallelujah. And uh, leap through a troop and jump over a wall, as David said. So that's just the way I feel about it. We've had a great camp meeting, and this is the last day. Amen. It's the last day in more ways than one, friends. But this is the last day of Kansas camp. And uh, this should be the best day. Don't you believe it? Amen. I believe it. I believe it. Now, I want to tell you how much I appreciate this fine district and your district superintendent, Brother Westberg, district board, and all these wonderful people here that have made our visit so pleasant. And uh, count, I count it a privilege that you would uh, ask me to come and minister what I can do and contribute what the Lord has dropped into my heart to you. I don't claim any of this to be original. I feel like there's very little of any that we have, any, any of us have, that's original, purely original. It's just something that the Lord has has moved into us and opened to our understanding. Praise the Lord. And so I, I count it a real privilege that you should ask us to come. And uh, we have enjoyed ourselves. I tell you, we have. I appreciate the way you prayed for me, and my voice is held up. I, I wondered about it, frankly, when I came. I said, I wonder if these folks are going to have a teacher on their hands that can't even talk. It seemed as though my voice was closing down on me, and I'd been up to Canada, came back, and this thing settled on my throat. I preached twice on Sunday, and when I was through, I was done. I, I could hardly croak. <laughs> and uh, so then I was here Tuesday morning, and I felt that, that tightness in my throat, and, and I didn't have much voice. And I appreciate the way you folks have prayed for me, and I feel stronger now than when I came. Hallelujah. After teaching for about an hour and a half each day. So it's just good to have folks like you to wor worship with and fellowship with. and We're in the same boat together, aren't we? Hallelujah. Same boat. Praise the Lord. We're working at this thing together. And uh, I don't want to bore a hole under my seat. I'll tell you that right now. Because we're in the same boat. I don't want you to bore a hole under yours. Because I'm in the same boat with you. Amen. We're going to, we're going to uh, worship the Lord this morning. We're going to have a great time with the Word of God. Now, worship the Lord isn't all, worshiping the Lord isn't always just raising our hands. It isn't always just clapping our hands or running around the aisles and so forth. Worshiping the Lord is keeping in touch with heaven and letting the Lord move. And it's a two-way street. It's not just all one way. It isn't always going up toward God. It isn't always coming down from God. It's a two-way street. Hallelujah. There's a mutual flow. There's our heart's adoration going out to the Lord, and there's His blessing flowing into us. It's a continual two-way flow. Praise the Lord. And that's true worship causes that. 
It causes a two-way flow continually and a contact between you and God. You know, electricity isn't all one way. Did you know that? It takes two wires to make a light. And the, and the electricity has to flow both ways in order for the light to go on. Any electrician knows that. There's a positive and the negative. And it takes a complete circuit to do the job. And so in order for us to be what we ought to be in God, it takes a two-way flow. Hallelujah. Both ways. Amen. And that's what we want. That's what you want. That's what I want. A constant two-way flow of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Both reaching out to God, God reaching out to us, bringing us what we need. Praise the Lord. And this is where God's people have a true worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, let me just say this. We have the little charts that we're using. And by the way, uh, I wonder if someone would come and take these. If anyone wants them, they're 25 cents. You don't need them. That is, you can study along with us without them, but they will help you if you desire. Does anybody want one that does not have one? All right, they're 25 cents. Thank you, Brother Beckton. If you want one, just raise your hand. And uh, I've had someone ask me about them in quantity, and that both those charts and my large uh, spiritual temperature chart are available to you. Brother uh, Herod has them in the, uh, in the tape recording room. And uh, in quantities, their single copies are 25 cents for either one. In quantities, they're five for a dollar. And if you want as many as 25 to hand to your people of either chart or both mixed up, they're four dollars for 25. That amounts to 16 cents a chart. I, I just don't want to carry them back to San Diego. So if you want them, you can get them back there. They have both kinds. And uh, we're not studying this chart, this spiritual temperature chart, this time. We're doing the other one. And you can take them as you choose. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, let's just worship the Lord together right now, shall we? Hallelujah. Oh, how we love you, Jesus. Glory to God, we love you, Lord. Worship thy dear name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for your loving kindness, your tender mercies. For the grace of God, hallelujah. For the wonders of thy love, praise the Lord for your presence here today. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. All right, once again, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. This is our text scripture for this study. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, verse 17, for, meaning because, the flesh lusteth or warreth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. They're at eternal enmity. A warfare that never ceases. Day and night it goes on. When you relax your mind at night, the flesh would like to take over and fill your mind with thoughts, even in your dreams that are against God. That's why we need, before we go to bed at night, to commit ourselves into the hands of God. Amen. So there's an eternal warfare going on all the time. 
And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, you're either going after the flesh or after the spirit. Somebody said, I'm owned by boss. No, you're either ruled by the spirit or by the flesh. Amen. Amen. And the warfare is in your own soul. The battleground is right here. And uh, God wants you. The devil wants you. The devil uses the lower nature. Amen. He has a he has a he has a he has a a contact with you through the fallen nature, which is kin to him, related to him. He gave it to Adam, and Adam passed it on down till you got it. Came from the devil. So the devil claims you through that lower nature. Amen. But God has given you his nature, and he claims you through the divine nature, which he has given you in the Holy Ghost. So we have two natures. Amen. Now we need to yield to the Spirit. That's the whole, that's the whole meat and substance of this study. Amen. That's the secret of victory. We're going to get into that today. The secret of of victory. Amen. So as we go into it, let's just keep our hearts and minds open and believe God to really talk to us today. Amen. Brother Ellingsworth, would you lead us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Is this one alive? Okay, we'll put this one over here. I can talk to you. Everybody hear me? It's not very. It's kind of. Okay, can you build it up a little bit? Everybody hear me? A little bit more. A little bit more. Everybody got me? Okay, there we are. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now this study starts right out with asking a few questions. Why am I still troubled with temptation? Why am I battling against desires that I thought when I got the Holy Ghost I'd never have again and why are these things and as we mentioned earlier we either come to the conclusion that we weren't saved and the devil would like to tell you that that you didn't get the Holy Ghost and uh, this gets us to something we're going to be dealing with today some false teachings concerning how to deal with the flesh and some the true teachings but uh, we'll get to that a little later right now the devil tries to tell you that you really didn't get the Holy Ghost or you would never have Never be tempted along these lines or uh, never have the desires of the flesh anymore in your life. Or he would go to the other extreme if he can't get you that way and you find yourself giving in to some things of the flesh. He'd try to tell you, well, that's not sin after all because you're saved and you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you still have these things, so they must be all right. And there are some people that go to both of those faults or one or the other, those false positions, and in both of them, you're going to lose out with God as sure as you live. So uh, we have to understand in order to whip the devil and in order to keep the victory, we have to understand this teaching. 
that we now have in the Holy Ghost, since God has given us the Holy Ghost, two natures. Now we're born with one nature. That is when we're born the first time. I'm glad I've been born twice. Hallelujah. I'm glad I've been born twice. But the first time I was born, even though my parents had the Holy Ghost, I received a fallen, sinful nature. A nature that, that caused me as soon as I could make a choice to make the wrong choice. As soon as I came to the place of accountability, where I was accountable for my own actions, I invariably made the wrong choice because I only had one nature to live in. Even though in my mind I knew what I was doing was wrong, yet I kept on doing that. I wanted to do better, but I couldn't because this nature controls me. That's the natural man. And everybody's got it. When I talk about myself, don't look at me as though I'm some strange specimen. That's the way you were too. We all were. Amen. We don't have anything to boast about. Paul said in me that is in my flesh was no good thing. And that's what we have to understand. Man is totally depraved. He is totally corrupt. He is a child of the devil. He is a child of wrath. We have nothing of ourselves to boast in. Amen. So this is a natural man. He produces the works of the flesh according to Galatians 5. But God has a plan. And I'm glad his plan is perfect converting the soul hallelujah and the first step is to repent and get baptized in jesus name for the remission of sins which cuts off the works of the flesh your sins are gone hallelujah the sins that you have committed are gone but the nature still remains now this is like a woman cleaning the house and she sees she sees spider webs all over the place she takes her broom and brushes the spider webs down comes back the next day has to do the same thing all over again why? Because she didn't kill the spider. It's one thing to get forgiveness for your sins and get them taken care of, and it's another thing to deal with the nature down inside that causes you to do those things. Now, God has a plan that deals with both of those. <coughs> Praise the Lord. But this stage of the thing is dealing with the sins of the past. And we found it's a circumcision of Christ whereby the body of the sins of the flesh are cut off by the operation of God through repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, which is New Testament circumcision, an operation that cuts off out of your past all the sins that you've committed. But the nature still remains, and so God does something else. And this should be almost simultaneous. God's plan is to repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, and it should all take place one at uh, you know, as quickly as possible as part of the same wonderful operation of God. And so the next thing is, the important thing is now to receive a new nature, which God gives you when you get the Holy Ghost. Now you'll notice the new nature is illustrated by a little graft. Now I want to tell you about grafting. I talked about this in our previous study, but really didn't get into it too much, about grafting itself. But I don't know whether you've ever seen a walnut orchard or not. How many of you ever seen a walnut orchard? All right. Did you ever notice, now, out our way anyhow, and I suppose it's the same way here, but out our way, if you've ever seen a walnut orchard, you'll know that the trunk of, the, of that tree is black up to a certain point, and all of a sudden, white limbs begin to branch out of that black trunk. White limbs. 
Well, you, you look at that and you say, that's an odd-looking tree. Why would it be that way? Well, that's the way that man did it. Because they planted the black walnut, which has a, a, a hardier rootstock. They planted that to form the trunk. When it got to a certain size, they grafted the white or the English walnut into that black stock, that black trunk. And then as it took hold, they cut off the rest of the black walnut, and only the English walnut grows out of that black walnut trunk. See? Now, I know I've worked in the walnuts, and those that, that black trunk is rough, and then the limbs are smooth, white, smooth. But it grows only English walnuts. Now, to illustrate grafting a step further, some of you have heard of Luther Burbank, one of the greatest botanists that ever lived, I guess. And in Santa Rosa, California, there is a Luther Burbank apple tree. Have any of you ever seen that apple tree? Brother Price ought to have. He lives close to Santa Rosa. You ever see it, Brother Price? You ought to visit it. It has, I, I forget how many, from five to eight to ten different varieties of apples growing on the same tree. You can go up to that tree and pick an apple every, any time of the year. Some apple is ripening. Every time there are green apples on it, there are red apples on it. There's uh, wine saps and delicious and Newtown Pippins and bellflowers and I don't know what other kind of apples there are, but there's eight to ten varieties of apples growing on the same tree. One branch will be one kind, one branch will be another, one branch will be another. One will be a winter apple, one will be a summer apple, one will be this kind, one will be that kind. It's really strange and odd. But Luther Burbank grafted these different kinds of apples into the same tree. Amen. Now this is an illustration of what God does. He grafts his divine nature into us. Now think, think of how God does a miracle. This is a miracle that we being totally depraved, if we come to God in repentance and get baptized in Jesus' name, God will invest his holy nature or holy spirit and put it into us. Now his purpose is not to just get you happy, not to just get you clicking your heels and jumping up and down, not to just uh, uh, be tickled about it and uh, be filled with joy a little while, but so that you will produce another kind of fruit, which is not human or fallen or tainted by sin. It is called the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit or Holy Ghost, the fruit of God. Amen. Amen. Now that's the purpose. That's the goal. That you started with one kind of fruit, you're going to wind up with another kind in your life. So he plants this little, little plant inside of you, which needs to grow. It is not full grown when he puts it in. Amen. You're a, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. See? You must grow spiritually. There must be a continual growth in order to, to bring about 
the purpose God had in mind from the beginning when he gave you the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? So he does it, we illustrate it by the grafting, and I think we can understand that. So a new nature is grafted in. Now we find out that the old nature is the, devil, is the uh, devilish nature, which cannot do anything but sin. It, it, it is in eternal enmity against God. But the divine nature is the new nature, is the divine nature, the nature of God himself, which cannot sin. It is incapable of sinning any more than, a, uh, than that particular graft on that particular uh, uh, apple tree that he, when he grafts in a Gravenstein, it's going to produce Gravenstein apples on it. It's not going to produce the crab apples of the, of the trunk, see. That graft is going to produce Gravensteins or Delicious or whatever that particular nature is. Now, remember, we told you earlier that a man is not a sinner because he sins, but he sins because he's a sinner. A fig tree is not a fig tree because it bears figs, but it bears figs because it's a fig tree. The nature has to be there first. So God puts you, gives you his nature, and it is the divine nature, and it is the divine nature before the fruit is produced. Just like the fallen nature is the sinful devilish nature even before that person lies it's still there in a little newborn baby see all right so when you receive the holy ghost you may not be filled with love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness and temperance which is the fruit of the spirit may not all be there but the nature is there which will produce that in your life amen see somebody says well i don't have all of that brother gray no but as you grow in him, you will. It'll come. But you'll have to keep growing in him and abiding in him. Amen. And feed the new nature, not the old one. And eventually that fruit will be produced. Praise the Lord. You still with me? Amen. All right. Now, we found out then that, and this is the important thing to realize, that God gives us his new nature, and now we have two natures. We have two natures. What are we going to do with those two natures determines the future, your future. You have a choice. Now, we preach to the sinner, choose you this day whom you will serve, and that's what we tell the sinner. But how many times do we preach to the saints and said, you're choosing too? You're choosing because now you have two natures. Which of the two are you going to live in and permit to take the predominance in your life. See? So if you, Holy Ghost filled, Jesus named people, live after the flesh, ye shall die. That's what the Bible says. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live, Romans 8, 13. So we have a choice. That would never be written if we didn't have the power of choice. Now, the power of choice is a wonderful thing. God gives it to you. He does not presume to override your power of choice. Think of God standing back and not making you do something, but inviting you to do it and giving you a choice and allowing you to turn against himself. You're the only creature on the face of the earth that God permits to do that. 
<coughs> the animal creation can't do it. Vegetable creation can't do it. Sun, moon, and stars don't do it. Only man. Man is the only creature with a power of choice. Uh, Milton wrote a book called Paradise Lost. If my memory serves right, there's one chapter in that book that describes a truth that, I, that illustrates this power of choice. He said that the angels looked out over the battlements of heaven and looked down into the Garden of Eden and saw Adam and Eve down there. And uh, as they watched, as they watched, they saw the serpent come and talk to Eve separately from Adam and uh, saw her beginning to be beguiled. And he, in his wisdom, turned her and beguiled her and deceived her and turned her and the angels were horrified as they watched the scene uh, spread out before them, develop. They saw what was going to happen. They saw it. And one of them ran and got God. And God came over and the angels, one of the angels, I believe it was Michael, said to God, Look what's happening down there, Lord, with your creatures that you made in your image and likeness. Satan has come, Lucifer, who used to be one of us, has come and is destroying that, th these precious creatures that you've made. Bid me go down, I'll stop him. Let me go down there. I'll take care of that fella. I won't let him do that. That's what the angel said, Michael, to the Lord. The Lord said, no. Free I made them, and free they shall remain. I gave them the power of choice. I will not take it away from them. You still have it. You can still choose. Amen. So you have a choice. God gives it to you. He does not compel you. He does not force you. He doesn't take you and compel you and make you do something. No, sir. Sometimes makes you willing to do it, but sends the bees after you or the something else. But he won't choose for you. Choose you this day whom you'll serve. <clears throat> so there's a choice that you make. Choice number one is to live after the flesh because you've got two natures now and you can live after one or the other. And we discussed this yesterday, the day before. The choice of living in the flesh causes you to become a carnal man. This is where carnality takes over and those branches of carnality come up out of the old nature. Amen. Out of the old nature. And you're living, even though you have the Holy Ghost, you're living like you were as a sinner before you found God. And you, but you still do have the Holy Ghost planted in you, the new nature planted in you, which God in his great love has given to you. But you're not feeding it. Now the result of that, if it's carried on and on and on, results in tragedy and smothers out the new nature, completely smothered out and destroyed and dies. 
discussed that yesterday, which is the unpardonable sin. You can only receive the Holy Ghost one time, one only. Never receive it again. If you succeed in killing out this, old, this new nature which God has given you in the Holy Ghost, sinning willfully until you trample under feet the blood of the Son of God and crucify him afresh, kill him out in you, and succeed in doing that, you can never get the Holy Ghost again. You've gone through God's program. Amen. But I thank God you can make a different kind of choice. Amen. That's what we want to get on to today. Choice number two. The born-again man, which has the two natures, has another choice. Choice number two, he can live in the Spirit. I said he can live in the Spirit, the new nature, the Holy Ghost. He can live in the Spirit and become an overcoming man, an overcoming man. Now, this is where he deals with the old nature. He deals with the old nature. You see those scars there? Those on a stake, but I notice this, that every once in a while, they'll send up a sucker growth from down below, and I'll have to cut it off because that will destroy that tree rose. If I allow those sucker growths to come up, it will destroy it. So I have to keep cutting off those sucker growths that come up from down below. And that's what we must do. We must cut off out of our lives those sucker growths. Those sucker growths. Now, there are four teachings concerning how to deal with the old nature, with the old man. Four, uh, three of them are false. One of them is true. Now, let me give you these four teachings in fundamental circles evangelical circles concerning how to deal with the old nature. First, there is the teaching of eradication. This is the teaching of the Nazarenes and the holiness people that uh, believe that when you come back the second time, you get a second blessing which eradicates the old nature root and branch. Now, this is the way they teach. It's the, it's the second blessing or the experience, they call it, of sanctification. Now, sanctification is a good Bible word. There's nothing wrong with sanctification. fact is, it's a wonderful teaching in the Word of God. But it is not the eradication of the old nature root and branch. That is not what sanctification is in the Bible. Now, if there's somebody here that thinks they've been sanctified to the extent that your old nature is eradicated, root and branch, and no longer exists. I want you to come up here and let me stick you with a pin. We'll find out in a hurry. I had a discussion with a Nazarene preacher one time about this. I was young and full of zeal, and I knew he was wrong. He was older than I was, and so he thought I was a young pipsqueak that didn't know anything. But I knew something anyhow. I might have not known very much. But I knew something. So I began to talk to him, and he began to talk to me. And he began to tell me that what it was was the second blessing when you came up. You had to come up the first time and get salvation. Then you go back home. And then you have to come another time and get the second blessing, you see, which is sanctification which takes, goes in there and roots out that old nature, completely root and branch, and you don't have it anymore, see? 
So he was telling me that, and I was quoting scripture at him. You know, I was giving it to him, and he began to get red behind the ears, if you understand what I mean. See? He really did. And it wasn't very long before he was trembling all over, and he was just really trying to tell me that he didn't have that old nature anymore. And it was gone completely and eradicated. And he got so mad, he just trembled all over. And his eyes got big like saucers. And I said, uh, I said, you know, it seems as though the old man's still alive, I said to him. Yeah, right. I said, why are you so mad anyhow? He slammed the door. He wouldn't talk with me anymore. He still had it. He still had it, brother. That old eradication theory just isn't so. It just isn't so. There's no overcoming. If, you, if it's gone out root and branch, you don't have to overcome. You've all got it made, see? Just get your second blessing, and they, then you can just coast in the rest of the way. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Let me give you this. A man sins when he is drawn away of his own, of his own, of his own what? Lust, his own lust, and enticed. There has to be this nature inside that will respond. See? Now, the devil dangles his little baubles out here, see, in the world. That's not going to make you sin. That's temptation. He dangles those baubles out there. But if there's lust in here that you've been feeding, it'll look at that, and it'll say, I want that. And a man's own fallen nature reaches out after that, because they're kin, see? The devil and this nature is kin to each other. So this responds to that. All right, so a man sins when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it hath conceived, bringeth forth sin. Now, if a man didn't have that nature in him and it was eradicated, it would be impossible for him to sin. All right, this is, this is lust, sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. L-S-D. Lust, sin, death. Brother, that's the pill the devil wants you to take. Yes, sir, that's the pill the devil wants you to take. Amen. Eradication's not true. The second false teaching about dealing with the old nature is the doctrine of self-inflicted punishment. Now, that's what the monks did in the Middle Ages. They used to hide themselves off on the top of a mountain somewhere and wear hair cloth, go without food, to try to kill off the lust of the flesh in their, in their cells, and they would torment themselves and torture themselves and go without for days without food, and then... After it was over, they'd find out that the old man was just as alive as ever. You don't, you don't kill him out by, by wearing a, a rough shirt or uh, putting sand in your shoes. You're just not going to do it that way. But that's what they thought they had to do. And sometimes they even beat themselves and whip themselves and thought that by doing so, they would conquer the lust of the flesh. That is false, false, false. You'll never whip the devil that way. The third false teaching is the doctrine of suppression. 
The doctrine of suppression is that we are a pressure cooker and there's a fire lit under us and the lid is on and there is no safety valve except you and I, we're on top holding it down. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? It's going to be an explosion. <laughs> yes, sir. You can hold it down only so long. As long as that fire's burning, brother, there's going to be an explosion in there. And these people that think that by main strength and awkwardness they're going to hold that old nature down. You behave yourself now. You just behave yourself. That's only going to last so long. Periodically, there are explosions. And then they get on there again, and they try to hold it down. There's another big explosion. And then they get on there again and try to hold it down. It doesn't work. That is not the way. Three false teachings. Well, Brother Gray, is there a way? Yes, thank God. There is a way. We Pentecostals have found the key to that. What is it? It's the doctrine of habitation. Not eradication. Not suppression. Not self-inflicted punishment. But habitation. That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You believe it? All right. And that God puts his nature in there. And that if you live in the spirit, that new nature, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You'll reckon it dead. You'll not feed it anything because it's dead. You'll not give it anything to eat. You'll mortify it. You'll put it down every chance you get that this new nature will be growing inside of you, developing. Hallelujah. And you'll give yourself more and more to it. You know the older you get in God, the better, holier, sweeter, more lovable, kinder, more like Jesus you ought to be. You know, I see old folks sometimes, they get their corners of their mouth, go down like this. I want to tell you something. I noticed a man right here on this Kansas camp. I looked at him and I said, I hope I'm going to be like him when I get a little older. It's Brother McGee over there. Because he's always smiling. I looked at him. I said, look, he looks so good. He's got a smile on his mouth. He always smiles. The Lord said he'd preserve us, not pickle us. Hallelujah. Amen. Is that right, Brother McGee? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, God wants, the further we go in him, he wants us to get stronger in him. I don't believe the older saints ought to be the dead heads in the church. I believe they ought to have God moving in their, now I know this, that it's old men for counsel, young men for war. And each one has his place to fulfill. But I believe the older ones ought to be as alive in God and as quickened by the Holy Ghost and used of God with a maturity that God uses. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Not deader, but alive. Hallelujah. Moving out in God. And an inspiration to the young people. Praise the Lord. Oh, I believe it, friends. I believe it. Amen. So, the doctrine of habitation, that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and God lives inside of you, and he has put his nature in there, hallelujah, and that if you'll yield to the new nature, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If you through the Spirit, not by your own strength, but through the Spirit, 
You see, Romans 8 says, The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. We can't do certain things by our own main strength. You think you can get on and conquer that old nature by yourself? Oh, no. Can't do it. But the Holy Ghost gives us the power to do it. Hallelujah. Gives you the strength to do it. And as you yield to the Spirit, feed the new man, feed him on Bible study, feed him on prayer, feed him on church going, feed him on witnessing, feed him on the things of God. Hallelujah. He'll grow and develop and get muscles and be strong. Hallelujah. Help you to conquer the world, the flesh, and the devil. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I think we ought to stand and praise the Lord right now. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That you put off concerning the former conversation. The word conversation means life or manner of living or conduct, the way you used to live. That you put off concerning the way you used to live, the old man, and which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man. That's this new nature which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now Galatians 5, 24. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. All right, that means we have to take some drastic action. Now we're going to talk about that today, some of this drastic action of crucifying the old man. How to do it? By the help of the Holy Ghost. How is this overcoming accomplished? We're talking now about the overcoming man that cuts off the fleshly desires out of his life by the help of the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Ghost, by this new nature that's within him. How does he do that? Well, now first is to learn to recognize carnality when it appears. Now, we talked about carnality at length yesterday and the day before. And uh, the first thing we need to do is recognize it and not never make excuses for it. Whenever it comes on the scene, ruthlessly, pitilessly deal with it in your own life. Never make an excuse and say, well, brother so-and-so, look, I'm better than he is. That doesn't do it. You're pampering and petting the old man. And uh, that's one thing that you will never be an overcomer by doing. You have to deal with that thing. You have to know that in you there are certain tendencies that will rise up. The least provocation. Amen. Everybody has certain tendencies. Not the same in every individual. But they're all from the same root source, which is the fallen nature. So when this thing begins to arise in your life, recognize it, and without pity, deal with that thing. That hurts. It's not easy because the flesh way is a soft, easy way. 
And this hurts because uh, it's easy to lie down and go to sleep. It's easy to overindulge. The flesh wants to do it. And it's so easy to go that way. And the devil makes it so easy. But there is a joy in victory when you conquer that thing by the help of God. There's a joy in victory that you can't find anywhere else. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. A joy, a joy, a joy. Praise the Lord. It's a deep joy down in here. Others may not appreciate it. Even the saints in the church look at you and think you're funny. Weird, odd, strange, queer. You don't have to push that on them. Let them walk with God for themselves. But as for you, as for you, take your stand. Don't set your judgments against them. Amen. But set them on yourself. Make more demands or higher demands on yourself than you do your neighbor. Amen. I want you to think about that. Yes, sir. It's so easy to make more demands on the other fellow than you make on yourself and excuse yourself. It needs to be reversed. Put him in the hands of God. But as for me, this is what I'm going to do. Whether you do it or not, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm going to deal with myself. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. This is a wonderful verse of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, you'll notice here that uh, it says to, to cleanse ourselves. Somebody said, oh, Brother Gray, I thought the Lord is the only one that can cleanse us. When we come to the Lord, he does cleanse us. Isn't that wonderful? It's like taking a bath. But between the bathhouse and your home, you have to walk through the city streets. And while you walk, your feet get dirty, so when you get home, you have to wash your feet. You don't have to wash all over again, but you wash your feet. Isn't that right? The Lord doesn't wash your feet. He gave you the bath. When you got baptized in Jesus' name, repented. But you get home, you have to wash your own feet. That's why we have a foot washing service in the church. We wash one another's feet. Hallelujah. Help each other. But you better wash your own feet sometimes. Some things God will do for you, some things you have to do for yourself. I saw Brother Paul Gregory one time. He and I were very close friends. I helped him get the first revival he ever had. And God used him mightily, and he was a dear friend of mine for many, many years. He and I worked together and pastored neighboring churches and had wonderful times of fellowship. He's gone to be with the Lord now. Brother Gregory was one of those fellows that, that uh, well, he was just different than anybody. You all know him? Anybody know him? Some of you did. About that big around, more or less. 400 pounds, more or less. Huge mountain of a man. And uh, 
Uh, he was always talking about uh, his weight. He didn't make any bones about it. He'd say, oh, 400 pounds of me gets blessed. Hallelujah. And things like that. So one day we had a district conference. It was back in Santa Barbara. I don't know whether Brother Price remembers that or not. It was in Santa Barbara. And I saw him there. And I had to take a second look at him because he'd slimmed down. Brother, Brother Gregory had slimmed down. He was almost the size of an ordinary man. And I looked at him. I couldn't believe it. It was the same fella. I looked at him. And I said to him, Paul, what's happened to you? He smiled all over, you know, and he said, he said I lost some weight, you know. <laughs> I said, how did you do it? Because I'm inclined to be a little, on the, a little bit on that side, you know, and I, I'd like to hear how he did it. He must have lost at least 100 pounds or more. So I said, how did you do it? He said, well, I prayed. I said, is that how you did it? He said, no. <laughs> He said, I prayed, and I said, Lord, take this extra man off of me. Take this extra. I'm tired of carrying him around. I said, is that how you did it? He said, no. The Lord said to me, you take him off, you put him on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So uh, this is what we have to do. If we put something on, we're going to have to take it off. <laughs> if we allow something in our lives, cleanse yourself. Amen. If you've allowed something to come into your life and that lower nature has come over and, 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 a, and there's, been a, there's been an outshoot of that lower nature in your life and you've come to recognize it. Maybe you're in, the, in, a, in a service and the Holy Ghost begins to deal with you. And there's a sharp sword being wielded from the pulpit. Amen. Now, the tendency is to protect yourself. I'm talking about how some people do sometimes. I'm going to protect myself from that sword. But God doesn't want you to protect yourself. Open up. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let the sword come. Let it come. It's going to cut that thing off. You have to want it. You have to desire it. You have to cleanse yourself. You have to open up to God. You must deal with that thing. You must say, yes, Lord, I'm through with it by your help and grace. You know, this marriage uh, gown that we have, this marriage, uh, when we go into the marriage supper, everybody gets the gown, you know. In the Oriental times, they had a stack of them at the door. You went into the marriage, you were handed one. It's already sewn. You had to put it on. All right. One size for everybody. You know, when I used to be, when I went down to buy a suit, I'd go into the store, and I'd ask for a suit. They said, what size? I said, 42 long. Any 42 long fit me perfectly. It was beautiful. 42 long. I could put it right on, walk out of the store. No more. <laughs> now, size, well, 48 or 50 long and then they have to start finding the adjustments here it has to be taken out a little there it has to be fixed and here it has to be you know the length and all this other thing one shoulder higher than the other you understand <laughs> all right but I want you to know that when you come to God 
God does not do the alterations on that wedding garment. He takes the sword of the Spirit and cuts you up and down to fit the wedding garment. And you have to sit there and say, yes, Lord. You could run out any time you wanted to. You could say, no, I'm not going to put up with this anymore and walk out. But what you've got to do is sit there. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This is what I want. I'm going to let it do its work in me. I'm going to yield to the Holy Ghost. I want that sword to cut me to the quick. The tears begin to roll down your cheeks as that sword cuts and the blood flows and you go home sobbing and crying. You pray through and come back and say, Preacher, give me some more of that. Give me some more of that, Lord. Give me some more of that. Amen. Brother, it's going to take that to make it in. Cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. You can get mad and walk out if you want to. Nobody's holding you here. This is a matter of choice. You're going to have to want this. You're going to have to desire it. Hunger for it. Long for it. Yield yourself to God for it. Amen. There has to be a cleansing of yourself from that inward carnality. Learn how to search your heart and motives. Learn how to do it. A woman gets up every service and says, pray for my husband that he'll be saved. And then she begins to search your heart and motive. Why do you want your husband saved? Because you love him? Or because you want life to be a little easier for you? Why do you want him saved? Because you wanted his soul to be saved? Or because under the present circumstances you're finding it difficult and it's easier for you if he was saved? Search your motives. Search your heart. Learn what's behind the thing, see? And deal with that. And then have a willingness to deal with it. Now, <clears throat> we're told in 1 John 2, let's turn to that verse, shall we? Amen. I think this is the most important part of the study, frankly. When we begin to learn how to deal with the old man, with the old nature. 1 John chapter 2, verses uh, 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of God, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, these three terms, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these three terms describe the three uh, distinct enemies battling against us to overcome us and cheat us out of our inheritance in God. And under them... This is where carnality comes in. Through these three avenues, sin comes in. The world, with all of its pleasures and allurements, the devil and flesh. And they are so related one to another, it's almost impossible at times to differentiate one from the other because they interweave so closely. And under the flesh comes the lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Now, there's some people who don't even know these things when they arise. Let me give you some little help here that may help you to recognize these things in your life. Now, <clears throat> worldliness is all that is not of God. 
whatever would not be appropriate and fitting to a holy life and a life of victory on earth is worldly. Whatever does not come out from God and cannot go back to him with his blessing is worldliness. Now you think about it. If you can't, if you can't worship God in it as part of it, it has no place in your life. It reminds me of Spurgeon one time, I understand. He was traveling. It was either Spurgeon or Finney. I believe it was Spurgeon. He was traveling, and uh, he was in a strange part of the country, and nightfall came. And uh, there was a farmhouse near, a nice, beautiful, big farmhouse. It was the only uh, dwelling uh, that he saw. There was no town near. So he knocked on the door and asked for lodging for the night. And they welcomed him in, took him upstairs to a nice room, and invited him to stay the night. And uh, that, that was in the days when folks had real hospitality. And any, any stranger, any traveler, was certainly welcome in any home. But this home happened to be a very, very, uh, the, the center of that whole area as far as their social life was concerned. So they had planned a dance for that night, and the downstairs uh, living room and all was, was, the carpets were rolled back, the furniture put to one side, and they, were going to, they had a fiddler there, and they started to have a dance. And uh, so Spurgeon upstairs, he heard the music start and, and the sounds and so forth, and he went downstairs from his room, and he found himself right in the middle of a whole bunch of people that had gathered in to have a dance that night. And a, an engaging young lady came up to him with a smile on her face, saw he was a stranger, and walked up to him with, a, with hospitality, you know, and invited him to dance with her. Wasn't that nice? So she led him out to the middle of the ballroom floor and when he got out there and she turned to him to start dancing with him, when he got out in the middle of the floor, he took her hand and said, now just a moment, before I dance with you, dancer, stop dancing. And Spurgeon kept praying and he held that lady by the hand and he prayed as loud as he could go. That dance turned into a revival meeting. Hallelujah. I don't know the rest, all the story, but I do know that my understanding was that uh, several of those folks found God in the way that they, you know, they knew how to find God in that day anyhow. Hallelujah. Well, can you ask the blessing of God on that which you allow yourself to do? See, that's the thing. Can you ask the blessing of God on it? If you allow yourself to do it, God ought to be pleased with it. That's number one. All right. Anything which feeds or pampers the flesh, the animal part, whether it results in gross sensuality or in taking the bloom from your heart purity or merely in soft self-indulgence and self-ease, is worldliness. Anything that stains the soul, the heart, soils the hands, stings the conscience, and separates one from the joy and sweetness of communion with Christ is worldliness. It is the lust of the flesh. Now, I've given you a definition of the lust of the flesh. All right, now I'm going to get to the lust of the eyes. Anything that caters merely to the passions of this world that stimulates desire for possession and property, that aims merely to please men and gain their approval, 
that keeps the eyes fixed on the lowlands instead of the heights, on the seen rather than on the unseen, anything that puts a cloud between Christ and the Christian and shuts him out from one's vision is the lust of the eyes. Think about it now. Now we get to the pride of life. Anything that exalts self, that fosters pomp and pride, that clips the wings of the soul so that it grovels in the dust of the earth instead of soaring heavenward, that sets the affections upon the wealth, the fame, the honor of earth rather than upon the treasures of heaven, that robs the Christian of his possessions and privileges in Christ is the pride of life. Amen. I told you yesterday it's hard to say amen when you're on the operating table. But this is operating on us. We're, you're here today because you want to be, aren't you? Amen. All right. These are things. So we need to recognize carnality when it appears. We need to recognize it. All right. I heard a brother tell in the testimony meeting of seeing a cartoon once of a of the devil, picturing him sitting on a stump, crying. Somebody near him inquired, uh, Mr. Devil, what are you crying about? You've got most of the world in your lap. You have at your command most of the inhabitants. They're serving and obeying you. What are you crying about? The devil answered, yes, he said, but these Pentecostal folks have accused me of so many things that I'm not guilty of. <laughs> we blame the devil like to blame everybody but ourselves the wife you gave me <laughs> brother so and so caused me so much trouble and on we go on we go blaming everybody else but avoiding the real issues right down in here that's right amen all right, it's carnality that invites and welcomes the devil or worldliness to come in. James 1.14, let's look at that, shall we? James chapter 1 and verse 14. I quoted that to you. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. All right, now, um, I'm hurrying because I see I'm trying to follow my time here. And so let's pass over a couple of things and get to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. That first part is the part that I want to emphasize to you. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. In other words, we don't have to fight this battle alone. I mentioned suppression. The dealing with the old nature is not suppression. We are not in this thing alone trying to hold the old nature down. We have, an, we have the Holy Ghost, this new nature within us, the Spirit of God, the power of God, all heaven at our disposal, aiding us, helping us. And if we need more strength, we can get more strength. If we need more power, we can get more power. It's there for us. The reservoir of bounties and glories in God is available to us. The reason we don't have it is because we don't open our hearts to it. But it's there to help us. Hallelujah. So realize this that we have the greatest ally in all the world to help us to, to win this victory. Praise the Lord. There are seven
seven things by means of habitation, that we are the habitation of the Holy Ghost, uh, we overcome. Now, seven things we must do to the old man. And I'm going to go over these seven things real quickly. First of all, Romans 13, 14. And this deals with starving the old man. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the flesh thereof. Now, I remember when I was a boy, I mentioned to you, I sat on the first seat of the Old Belvedere Tabernacle in Los Angeles. Frank York was the pastor. Now, we live clear across Los Angeles, and Los Angeles is one of those cities that you don't travel across easily. And especially in those days, there were no freeways. I've lived a little longer than some of you, not as long as others. But in those days, uh, my folks did not have a car. We lived in the little community of Athens, down in the south part of Los Angeles. Old Belvedere Gardens was in the northeast part of Los Angeles. And uh, so we would take the big red electric trains across Los Angeles to get, them, to get there. And then we would transfer to the yellow uh, streetcars. And finally we would arrive. Then a little later, we got an old 1925 Chevy, 23 Chevy to begin with, and then a 25, touring cars. And my father drove, and I can remember riding, uh, just feeling so good because we had an, uh, a car, an automobile. We called it an auto. <laughs> uh, we didn't call them cars, we called them autos. And we had an auto. <laughs> and we would drive across. Now, I can remember my mother saying to my father, do you have the provisions? You see, once, once we went on Sunday morning, we were there for the day. All day long, we were there. Early morning, Sunday morning, clear through the, all day until after the night service, we stayed there, and then we went home. Now, home was a long ways away, so we had to take with us provisions, you understand? Now, we had a fireless cooker. Does anybody know what a fireless cooker is? Nobody. Brother, I must have outlived you all because we had a fireless cooker. Now, a fireless cooker is a square box that's insulated with a round hole in the middle. And at the bottom of that, you heated a stone like a pancake, only bigger, about that thick, on the stove until it was red hot. And then with a wire hook, you took it and put it down the bottom of that wireless fireless cooker. And then there were three, uh, um, uh, three kettles or pots that fitted together in that round hole, just fitted exactly. Then the lid came down, which was thick and insulated, and it clamped. Now, in those pots, you put the meat, the vegetables, and anything else you wanted to put. You put them in there, put the lid on it, put it in the car, and while you went, they cooked. After service, everything was done. Modern invention. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> my mother would say to my father, do you have the provisions? That meant, do you have everything, everything to eat, you know, for dinner out there in the car? See? You have all that fireless cooker, basket of goodies, and whatever you're going to take to eat, you know, do you have it in there? Provisions. She called them provisions. I remember that. You have the provisions. Provisions. Food. Make no provision for the devil to fulfill the lust thereof. No, make no provision for the flesh 
to fulfill the lust thereof. That's what this verse says. Don't invite him to your picnic. Don't set a place for him at the table. Don't ever feed him. Starve him to death. Leave the old fellow out. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't cater to him. No TV. Amen. See? Make no provision for the flesh. No TV. Hallelujah. Amen. Watch out your reading material. Watch out what kind of material you're feeding him. See? Whatever you read either feeds the flesh or the spirit. Now, which is it feeding? Which one are you feeding? You remember that Indian that had the two dogs fighting? Which one is winning? The one that I feed. The one I feed, the one I nourish. You might think that old man's dead, but start feeding him and watch what happens. Just feed him a little bit. Boom, out he comes, just as big and bright as ever. Before you know it, praise the Lord, doesn't take long. You might reckon him dead and think he's dead and be confident he's dead, but watch out. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Have no confidence in the flesh. Don't even be confident he's dead. Just keep reckoning him dead. After he's dead, kill him some more. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Kill him some more. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Help us, Lord. Praise God. All right, and then feed the new man. Reading trash feeds the flesh, starves the spirit. Reading the Bible feeds the spirit, starves the flesh. Being at ease feeds the flesh, starves the spirit. Sacrificing for God feeds the spirit, starves the flesh. Staying home feeds the flesh, starves the spirit. Going to church feeds the spirit, starves the flesh. You cannot feed both natures at the same time. Second way of dealing with him, and I see I'm going to really have to hurry, is opposition, 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I, beat my, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest after I preach to others I myself might be a castaway, should be a castaway. One rendering says, puts it this way, I'm a boxer that does not vainly beat the air, but I aim blows sharp and strong at my own body and bring it into subjection. It does not go into subjection easily. It does not go of its own volition. You have to deal with it. Now, it's at eternal enmity against God. Uh, this text suggests to us that your body will not willingly yield. It must be forced. Also, that if it's not forced, if it's not beat down, if it's not kept under, you will be lost. Paul said, if I don't do it, I'll be a castaway. Paul, you mean to say, after 25 years of living a victorious life, that you can become a castaway? Yep, I mean just that. You mean after preaching to others and helping thousands upon thousands of people, establishing churches everywhere, you yourself can be lost? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You mean after you have had visions of God and been caught up to the third heaven and know what it is to have a mighty revelations that no one else has ever had and, and reveal these things to the church and and establish a divine principle of the mystery of God that has been hidden from generations past, that you, the agency God has used to do all that, can be lost? Yes. Yes. That's what Paul said. Amen. I had a young man come to me one time, and 
found him meddling with a girl in the church. He's a married man. And uh, he, I had put him in charge of a, of a branch service out in a neighboring town. And, uh, and I dealt with him about it. He said, well, Brother Gray, here I am, a worker, got a license, and, and a worker for God, and I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done that. Doesn't that count for anything? I put him on restrictions and would not even let him testify. Put him in church. Says, doesn't that count for anything? Well, all this I've done for years, I've worked with you. Doesn't that count for anything? Doesn't that, shouldn't you take that in consideration? What do you think? Moses. Man that God used so mightily in delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. Why, those children of Israel rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and, 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 and so forth. Time after time after time, Moses did it one little time. Just one time. God says, Moses, you come here. I'm taking you to the woodshed. You're not going to get in the promised land. Well, Lord, they, look what they did all the time after time after time. And I interceded for them and I did this. Lord says, I don't want to hear any more about this. You did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people. There's a greater responsibility on the ministry than you know. Yes, sir. You folks that want to be a preacher, you don't know what you're letting yourself in for. If you can get by without it, you better. If you can keep saved without preaching, you better, you better just stay and be a good saint in the church. It's when you take the ministry, you've got a responsibility that's heavy that rests on you. Where was I? Oh, yes, Paul said, I could, my, I could be a castaway. We say, God, fix me up. Well, I got to that. Let me go to something else. Life isn't always a shout, a hallelujah meeting. That may come. That's part of it. But it's a life to live and a death to die. I remember Brother Stairs, when he was our missionary secretary, went to Stockton one time. I was teaching in the Bible school a two-week seminar. And during the course of that meeting, we had a, a foreign missions uh, rally of the section, and all, all the section came together and I was there and the stairs spoke that night and uh, he said uh, he said somebody asked me they heard that I was going to make another trip around the world and this is about my third or fourth one to the, visit the mission fields and somebody asked me said isn't that pretty glamorous brother stairs don't you really enjoy seeing all these new sites and going to all these wonderful glamorous exotic places in the face of the earth seeing these wonderful things isn't that tremendous thrilling and don't you get a real wonderful enjoyment out of it? He said, well, frankly, the first time I went, and even the second, third time, I, I did have such expectancy. I wanted to see everything there was to see and do everything there was to do. But he said, frankly, now, he said, this time my spirit wants to go, but my body rebels. When I think of the dirt, the squalor, the filth, the germs, no sanitation of any kind, spitting everywhere, hard lumpy beds or just slats covered by a blanket or the floor, no place to wash, no clean water to drink, no place to wash clothes, stink, stink, stink everywhere, tired, worn out, no rest or sleep, dirt, dust, diseased people crowding me on every hand, breathing stinking breath in my face. My body rebels against going. My spirit says go. You've got a job to do for Jesus. But my body, my flesh wants to hang back. But my spirit's going to go and take my body with me. 
going to do it for him. Did you ever feel that way about serving God? And something say, I have to go again. I have to do that again. Oh, I don't want to do it. But something inside of you rises up. says, I'm going to do it by the grace of God. I'm going to do it for Jesus. I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to let the spirit of ease and comfort take hold of me. I mean business for God. Do you feel that way about it? Well, let's stand and worship the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Paul said, I keep under my body. I make myself do it lest I be a castaway. Because self is always against God. Our self-life came by Adam, our first birth. It did not come by our second birth. It rebels. It does not want to tithe. It does not want to give liberally. Reminds me about the miser. You know what a miser is? No, honey, he's not a man that eats mice. <laughs> a miser. You know what a miser is? Miser. Loves money. Pinches those nickels till the... Buffalo squeals. <laughs> miser. He got saved. Think a miser can be saved? He might be a miser before he's saved, but there'll be no tight wads in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, so he got saved, found God. Here came a poor woman. Somebody told him about a poor woman that needed help. He said, I'll give her a ham. He went out to the smokehouse. And there was hams hanging everywhere. And he was looking for, the, for a ham. He was going to get a nice, good, big ham, a good one. And that old miserly spirit rose up in him. You know, the old nature said, find the littlest one you've got. So he turned to get the least one he had. And then he recognized it. He says, you shut up or I'll give her every ham in the smokehouse. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's right. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. You're dealing with the old man. Every day you live, you're dealing with him. Hallelujah. All right, you may be seated. I still got a little time to go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, how the flesh squirms about money. If I had $10,000, I'd give it all. If. You know you'll never have it. <laughs> not what you do with a million of riches should ever be your lot, but what do you do in the present with a dollar and a quarter you got? <laughs> Amen. Uh, praise the Lord. So the old man doesn't want to pray, he doesn't want to study, he doesn't want to knock on doors to tell men about Jesus. I must make my body carry my spirit around when it does not want to. There's no salvation without self-denial. People blame circumstances neighbors, friends, family, finances, or lack of it. But very few are honest enough to find out that the real trouble is right in here with the old nature. That's right. Amen. It's what's within you that makes you rise or fall. Not outward circumstances. Amen. It's whether you yield to the spirit of the flesh that makes you rise or fall. Amen. Here's Peter. He's in the boat. Comparative safety. And... Uh, Jesus starts walking on the water and it's a stormy night and through the mists and obscurity and storm and so forth 
the disciples see a form floating over the water and uh, that's just the way a lot of folks are that's the way they see Jesus just as some mystical thing out there somewhere some even think they see three right but uh, John said it's the Lord it's the Lord he had he knew he had the revelation and so Peter squinting his eyes and looking through the storm and through the spray and through the mist and the fog and the obscurities and so forth called out Lord if it is you bid me walk on the water to you and one word came back to him it was the word of God the word was come somebody said Peter did not walk on water he walked on the word of God that word come that'll hold anything up the word of God will but in, in obedience to that invitation into the supernatural realm Peter stepped over the side of the boat and walked on top of the water now watch and see what happens he's in the spirit as much of the spirit as he could get into before he received the Holy Ghost at Pentecost all right he's in a supernatural realm this is the way some of us are now watch and see because we are there by the power of God between the world and the coming of Jesus that's where we are that's exactly where we are we stepped out into the supernatural realm when we gave our hearts to God we're filled with the Holy Ghost so we are like Peter on the water that's just exactly where we are kept by the mighty power of God so Peter's walking there on the water and then all of a sudden all of a sudden he says what am I doing here I can't be here this is impossible nobody can live above sin I can't do this yes you can yes you can hallelujah but sins all around me everybody's doing it yes sir nobody can do this 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 is impossible According to the flesh, it is. According to natural reasoning, it is. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. You're going to sink as sure as the world. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You're going to stay up there. Hallelujah. There's a way of victory. A glorious way of victory. Hallelujah. Now, I know it's supernatural. But we're a supernatural people when God came into us. We're doing things that the natural man cannot do. Hallelujah. All right. So it's what's within you. A tree may have every appearance of health and stability, even while in its heart it's rotting away. Outwardly, everything's fine. Inwardly, it's just a hull rotted away on the inside. So you may plaster your religion all over you. You may appear to be the holiest one of all, be able to tell everybody else off, talk in tongues and interpret. But if you lose your temper, you're a failure with God. If you give in to that because Jesus said what does it say a man that bridleth not his tongue his religion is vain all the rest of it doesn't count hallelujah so in fact <clears throat> we have to understand this you can sing like an angel preach like the Apostle Peter shout till the windows rattle but if you don't bridle your tongue your religion is vain amen distasteful task is ahead of you spirit says you should do it the body says postpone it 
you have to keep under your body. You gain a victory when you move out and do it anyhow. Praise the Lord. Body says sleep, daydream, let the housework go, be lazy, let your husband darn his own socks. That's what the body says. But the body must be kept under to please God. Arise, shine, do those distasteful tasks. Sing while you do them. Worship God while you do them. Do them unto the Lord. Oh, I didn't get many amens, just men. Amputations. Matthew 18, 8 and 9. And of course, you know the scripture. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now that doesn't mean to physically do it. I've heard of people that did try to take a hacksaw or a knife and cut their own hand off or gouge their eye out because they thought this was to be taken literally. But you know and I know that that's not, not going to stop anybody from sinning because sinful actions come from a heart, not from the outward member of your body. That's just a tool that you use to carry out the dictates of a fallen, corrupt nature on the inside of you. So your, your, your amputation comes on the inside. I'm not going to dwell on that, but let's move to the next one. Crucifixion. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. They say that John Wesley's wife was a demon. This was a great man that God used in those early days back there in England when England was sinking into a morass of filth and corruption. And uh, <clears throat> John Wesley preached and they turned him out of the churches and he went out on the hillsides together with Whitefield and the people gathered to them like unto John the Baptist, Bible days. But uh, uh, Wesley would ride from preaching post to preaching post on a, on a donkey or a horse. And one day he came to a place where he was scheduled to preach that night and his wife had been there ahead of him and had written out something and posted it on the door of the little church. It went something like this. John Wesley is a thief. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a, he's a, he's, he's a, a, a filthy, corrupt, degenerate. He's depraved. He's debauched. You cannot believe him. He's a liar. And every dirty, low-down thing she could think of, she wrote on a piece of paper and tacked it on the, on the church door. John Wesley got there, and he saw that. His wife had written her name underneath it. How would you like that, preacher? How would you like to live under those conditions? Some of you got your wife at your side. She's right with you all the way. And it's hard enough that way. John Wesley had a wife that was against him. Demon-possessed. No doubt about it. So he looked at that and he read it. And then he wrote on the same piece of paper underneath, all true but saved by the grace of God, John Wesley. Take unfair things. Take things that come at you when they're not true and leave God do the justifying of you. Don't have to answer back. Don't have to retaliate. Don't have to take vengeance in your own hand. Don't have to fight your own battles. Amen. I've, I've seen God step in and do things that man couldn't do. I remember one situation. I took a church that was an old church. It was an experience for me. An old church that had been spoiled, and there was a woman in it <clears throat> that the former pastor had carried around on a pillow. And every once in a while, she'd come to church, 
and she'd march up the aisle and come behind the pulpit and she'd preach there. What's, why don't we hear about the coming of the Lord? We hadn't heard about it. Why don't our preachers preach this and that and the other? Something's wrong that we don't have this kind of preaching anymore and things like that, you know. She'd stalk down there and claim that that was a gift of the Spirit, you know. And then she might not show up for a couple of weeks and she'd do the same thing again. And she'd march and march up the aisle, supposedly under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, come right behind the pulpit and go to it again. Her name was Clara. I won't take her last name. So the former pastor, whenever she, and, then, and then she'd sit at home and sulk and pout, you know, and the pastor would go to her and cater to her and plead with her, please come back to church, you know, we need you, so forth and so on, you know. So here's, here's one preacher that wouldn't do that. My conscience wouldn't let me do it. She was old enough now to not be a baby anymore. And so she did that on me and, and I completely ignored her and went right on and, and didn't invite her to teach her Sunday school class. You know, she'd, they pled with her to teach that class. Nearly every two or three weeks she had to be pled with and begged to take that class back again. I didn't do that. I didn't cater to her. I wasn't about to do that. That was the flesh, and I wasn't about to do it. So she stayed at home and stopped. She got it in for her pastor because I wouldn't go out like the former pastor did and plead with her and beg her and almost get down my knees, you know. And I wasn't about to do that. So she started a little dirty little story about her pastor. Some vicious little thing, you know. And uh, people kept coming to me as, as it traveled through the church. And uh, I watched it as it went. I knew where it was going next. <laughs> I knew exactly how it would go, clear around the church. And so they kept coming and saying, you know what they're saying about you, Brother Gray? Yes, I know, but I braved through on it and left it with God. I wouldn't even answer it. Wouldn't even dignify it with an answer. Kept right on. People kept coming to me. And it traveled clear around the circle of the church, but as it went, it changed. It changed. And as it started, it was in her favor, it was against me. But as it changed, it changed completely around until by the time it got back to her, it was the very opposite. She was the one that was put in the shade and I was the one that was in the, you know, in the clear. So one morning, early in the morning, there was a knock on my door and I went to the door and there stood Clara and she was just, just mad. Who's telling this dirty story about me? Who started this awful story? Brother Gray, do you know what they're saying about me? <laughs> yes, sir. That happened. Amen. And I said, what are they saying about you, Clara? I knew. <laughs> so she told me, and she says, who could have started that awful story? I said, Sister Clara, you did. I did not. I said, you started it when you said this. And I told her word for word how she, what she said. She dropped her head. She started to cry. And I said, Clara, it's time you straightened up. You know that was not true that you started against me. But I left it with God and God handled it. This is the same story. This is not a different one. Same story that you started, God saw to it. That it was taken care of, right. I said, you need to straighten up and be the kind of woman that you ought to be in God. You can be. 
I stayed there three and a half years. When I left, she was the most broken-hearted saint in the church. She was tore up. She says, I don't... Says, you've done more for me than anybody I've ever known in my life. That's right. Oh, God, help us. Help us to realize that God can fight our battles for us and do a much better job than if we get carnal weapons and try to fight back. It doesn't work, friends. God doesn't work with that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Let God do it. He'll do a better job than you ever will. And you'll keep in the spirit and keep the victory and live for God and rejoice in the Lord and watch God fight your battles for you. I believe he knows how to do it. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord together right now. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Crucifixion. Then there's mortification. Colossians 3, 5 to 10. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Mortify means to put to death and let them stink. Mortification is, is uh, proud flesh. A mortician is a fellow that deals with dead bodies. And so mortify means that the flesh dies and then it gets corrupt and it stinks. That's right. Let it not only die, but let it lay there. And let the sun beat on it pitilessly until its true nature uh, is revealed to you. Right, so it's mortification. And be humiliated sometimes. Do you think you can make it in without this? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Why do you think this is in the Bible? Amen. Then finally, there's limitation. Oh, limitation is number six, uh, where it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, having these, well, perhaps I better read it. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience a race that said before. So this deals with limitation. Now let me get down to something. The thought is this, weight that does so easily and the sin which does so easily beset us. The thought in the original, if you go back into it, is the thought of getting fat. And you're trying to run a race. Did you ever see a fat man run? Flabby, fat, flap, flapping everywhere, trying to run. How can that fellow win a race? He's jogging and everything. It's, it's jumping and shaking all over. Fellow in the Olympics trains. He said, I trained for five years for this moment. Five years of training to go into the Olympics. Amen. So here we're to lay aside every weight. That means we're to give ourselves to disciplinary measures training for this race, amen, limiting the old man in every way that would hinder the progress of the spirit. Praise the Lord. Then we have disassociation, Galatians 6, 5, 16, walk in the spirit and ye will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I haven't time to even deal with that, but our time is up. And I want us to close with, with a thought concerning the new nature. Because you see, once, uh, we have conquered and dealt with the old one, the new one has a chance. The new one has a chance. And it will grow and produce the fruit of the Spirit. You have to deal with the old one before the new one has a chance. Amen. Amen. When you cut off those other branches, the new one has a chance then to bloom and produce what God has in mind all the time, the fruit of the Spirit. We haven't time to go into that.
But let me say this, that it has been found through microscopic examination that within the body of a caterpillar, there is a distinct but undeveloped butterfly. As the butterfly nature develops, the caterpillar body must be put off. And the crawling, earthly nature gives place to that new nature within it until it bursts forth into the glorious creature that it becomes. Now, God has in mind us caterpillars to be butterflies. Hallelujah. That's what he has in mind. And distinctly, there are the vestiges within us, even within our fallen nature, of our former status as Adam, in Adam. But it can never be produced until there is the new nature planted in us in the Holy Ghost. And then the old, crippled, fallen, degenerate, depraved nature has to be shelled off for the new one to come out and be what God has in mind. Hallelujah. Now, how is that done? Well, by habitation. You are a temple of the Holy Ghost, and the church is a habitation of God through the Spirit. So the doctrine of habitation is the only scriptural way that by the power of the Holy Ghost, the strength that God gives you as you pray and seek God, you have the spiritual stamina and strength to deal with this old man and to come out victorious. Hallelujah. Now they tell the story about Jason and the Golden Fleece. This is a, this is a Greek, one of the Greek uh, uh, fables, uh, uh, but it has a spiritual truth in this portion of it that I'm going to tell you. There's a beautiful spiritual truth here. Some of you can remember the story of Jason and the Golden Fleece and the Greek mythology that tells about the island of the Sirens. Now the island of the Sirens was an island where women lived, just women alone, that sang so beautifully that as the sailors were rowing their vessels, near to the island, and somehow or other, the island was so situated that you couldn't go anywhere without going by the island of the sirens. But those sirens would sing with such surpassing loveliness and beauty that it would captivate the sailors. And they could not help themselves but row toward the island. And the island was a rocky island, and the entire coasts of that island were covered with the wrecks of ships that had crashed on those rocks and been destroyed. And that was the purpose of the sirens, to destroy ships, destroy men. They hated men, evidently. The devil doesn't love you. He hates you. And he wants to destroy you. And he uses this human nature we've got inside of us to lure us and to respond to his wiles to crash and be destroyed and lose our souls. All right, that's the picture. Now, there was one man that got successfully by by filling the ears of the, of the oarsman with wax. And then he had himself bound with ropes to the mast. And so when he got to the island and he heard the, the, the oarsman did not hear the song of the sirens, but he heard it and he screamed for them to row toward the island. But they couldn't hear him because their ears were full of wax and they rode on safely by. But that's not a good way. The fact is, I don't think it works, really. Because God's not going to 
compel anybody. He's not going to make anybody. It's still a power of choice. So Jason, I believe it was Jason, that had the answer. He knew he had to go by that island. And he knew what would happen when he did. So he asked Orpheus to join him and come aboard his little ship. Now Orpheus was the greatest singer of all that lived in that day. So as they got toward the island, Jason asked Orpheus to start singing. And Orpheus sang with such beauty and such uh, tremendous uh, uh, enchantment that all the songs of the sirens did not distract or turn those sailors away. Hallelujah. And they rode on safely by as they listened to the song of Orpheus. Now there's one whose song is so sweet the birds hush their singing. And I want him to be aboard your little vessel and my little vessel. Hallelujah. And I want you to listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. It's like a boy that I knew when I was a boy. And let me tell you young people right now that there's no difference between you and the way I was when I was a boy. The same devil was still around, same temptations. This young man was going with a girl, and of course all the other boys teased him, said, when did you kiss her? Did you kiss her? And finally he said no, and then they teased him more, made fun of him. But he said this. He said, I haven't kissed her because I'm afraid the call of the flesh will be so strong I won't be able to hear the call of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now you think about that. I want Orpheus to be aboard. I want to listen to his voice. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, Christ in you. Jesus, to fill my heart and my life. Hallelujah. So when that call comes from out yonder somewhere, and my old flesh would like to respond to it, I'm listening to the call of the Spirit. I'm listening to the voice of God. My heart is yielded to Him. Hallelujah. And I go safely through this world into the world to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Victorious and living for God. Would you stand with me and rejoice with me? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise your wonderful name, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be seated for a moment. My, that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. We appreciate this. We always want the Spirit speaking to us louder than...